Would you stand in reverence as we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, beginning in verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, the person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Have you ever had this experience where you planned a trip, you got excited, the day came, you're ready to go, and the adventure begins, and then something goes wrong. The plane is delayed. Somebody gets sick, your bags are lost, you get to your destination, and the room reservation has been lost, and you begin to complain. I was a youth director for about the first 20 years of my ministerial life. I took youth on a good number of trips. I was a pretty good planner, had all the details worked out, always had the vision that not only were we traveling together, but the kids would grow in faith and bond as a community. Most of the time, that worked out very well. But you know what? I didn't have a single trip where everything went perfectly. There was always something There was the year that the church had a brand new bus. We were going on a mission trip to Phoenix, Arizona in July. That may have been a mistake to start with. Maybe maybe I didn't plan so well. Anyway, though, the bus had air conditioning, so right, there should be no problem. But guess what? By the time we got to Phoenix, the air conditioner had quit working. Every day, the temperatures are soaring over 100 degrees. Can you imagine perhaps one or two people were complaining? There's a year we went on a ski trip. We had so many youth sign up, we couldn't get them all on the chartered bus, so we decided to take a second bus. We filled it up. We started down the road. Before we got two hours out of town, the second bus began to have engine problems And that group of adults and youth ended up spending the night in beautiful Enid, Oklahoma. (laughs) While the rest of us, I was lucky enough to be on the first bus, went on to Colorado to go skiing. You can imagine perhaps there was some complaining. A group of us, not knowing COVID was coming, took a trip to the Holy Land in February of that year. We had a wonderful time. We had our itinerary ahead of time. Typically, we get up and eat breakfast and get on the bus and leave about 8 o'clock for the tours of that day. 
And then one day, as we're driving back to the hotel in the evening, our guide leans over to me and says, I've got an idea for tomorrow morning. We've got about an hour drive. We want to be the first ones at this site. Could you tell the group I need them to get up at 5.30 in the morning? Be on the bus by 6.30, ready to go. Well, you might imagine that was not the plan, and we had, myself included, some complaining going on about the change in the itinerary. Humans are pretty good at complaining, especially when they are not in charge. And this story from Numbers These folks are on a 40-year-long road trip on the way to the promised land. But not unexpectedly, not everything's working out the way they hoped. And they begin to complain. In verse 4, it says the people become impatient. They're going one way. They run into a detour where a group of people won't let them pass. So they have to turn and go back around a different way. And the people become impatient, it says. And then in verse 5, it says the people spoke against God and against Moses. They have begun to complain. But if you know the saga of the Hebrew people, this is not the first time. If you read through Exodus and Numbers where it records this journey as God's forming these people over and over, the people are complaining. Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent. If you come to the service we have here, you hear these words read as part of the litany, dearly beloved in Christ. The early Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection. And it became the custom of the church that before the Easter celebration, there should be a 40-day season of spiritual preparation. Then it goes on to speak of sin and penitence and reconciliation within the congregation. And then it says, in this way, the whole congregation was reminded of the mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need we all have to renew our faith. I invite you, therefore, to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance. By self-examination and repentance. And when we impose the ashes on people's hands and foreheads, one of the lines we say is, repent and believe the gospel. Because Lent is a time for self-examination eventually the Hebrew people are going to get there eventually they give up their complaining and lack of truth-telling and confess but they are not ready yet they are ready to complain about Moses and God bringing them out here into the wilderness Lent offers self-examination and repentance as keys for the Christian life. Are you ready? 
Are you ready to look deep inside? Are you ready to face the challenges that you know are within? Lent offers us that opportunity. I've shared with this congregation before that one of my favorite books when my girls were little and we were reading storybooks day and night was the one called We Are Going on a Bear Hunt. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. It's a beautiful day. We're not scared. It repeats that line over and over as this family goes out to look for a bear. But along the way, they run into challenges, mud that they have to go through, a raging creek they have to cross, a thick forest with underbrush, and then finally a snowstorm. And every time when they face the challenge, They say to one another, we can't go over it, we can't go under it, we've got to go through it. We've got to go through the challenges of life. Lent says, let's go through this together. Knowing that we all face challenges and struggles in life let's come together and support one another as we walk through this opportunity for facing challenges and temptation opportunity to face our failings and our fears lent gives us this opportunity to look at our own inside interior motivations and no matter what we find to offer them up to God. The suggestion of Lent is that we pause, pause during these 40 days of preparation before Easter, that we slow down, take a few more deep breaths, and do some serious self-reflection, self-examination, and introspection. Trusting that God can handle anything we find. Trusting that God can heal all wounds. Trusting that God can transform all of our failings and temptations. Trusting that God can strengthen us for the journey and can lead us through any and all experiences that life has to offer. These folks we read about in Numbers today, they're not quite ready to trust God with all of that just yet. In verse 5, right after it says they spoke against God and against Moses, it quotes them saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. It sounds like a legitimate complaint. But they betray themselves in the very, very next phrase. After they've said there is no food and no water, then they say, and we detest this miserable food. So there is, is there no food? Or do we just not like the menu? It's a really different experience. But I would suggest to you that their complaints are just like so many other people who complain. There's a little bit of truth-telling combined with an ample dose of untruth. 
as someone's trying to make their case for why they're complaining, to strengthen their case for why they're so negative and attacking the leaders. They take a little bit of truth and mix it up with exaggeration or overgeneralization or distortion to justify themselves and the way that they are behaving. Verse 6 brings them a reality check. The authors attribute this to the Lord, saying, Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. There's a real difference between saying, I feel like I'm dead, or I'd rather die than, and you fill in the blank, and experiencing real death. Real death is a reality check. And the serpents or the snakes come, and some people die, and it's a reality check for the Hebrew people. But it's also an insight into how easily any one of us, maybe all of us, can be pulled into a mob mentality of complaining, blaming someone else, rather than looking for a solution. But real death, real dying, is a reality check in the story today. And by verse 7, they have come back to reality. And it says, the people came to Moses, the one they've been criticizing and complaining about, and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. They've had a change of heart, have they not? Because of the reality of their situation. They had distorted it before, but now they've become really clear that they need Moses and they need God if they're going to make it through the wilderness. Back in the children's book, spoiler alert, they find a bear. All through the book, they've been saying, we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to find or catch a big one. We're not scared. But guess what happens when they find a real bear in a dark cave? They're scared. They're running like the wind to get out of there and to get back home. It's scary to face reality sometimes. It can be scary to face our own demons, our own conflicts, our own struggles can be scary to look at where we are in our relationship with God and where we want to be. And it can be scary to deal with the struggles and suffering that we all experience in life. I gave the sermon title as What About Suffering? This text just like the story says, we can't go under it, we can't go over it. We've got to go through it. Do you remember this movie, It's a Wonderful Life? We usually use that as preachers as a sermon illustration about Christmas time because the climax scene all right toward the end of the movie happens at Christmas time. 
You remember the story, the lead character is played by Jimmy Stewart. His name is George Bailey. He has big dreams. He's leaving his little small town. He's going to travel the world. But one time after another, just as he gets ready to launch out on his big adventure, he is thwarted, and he ends up inheriting a business from his father, the building alone, a little bank. He doesn't really want to be the one running the bank, but that's where he finds himself. And then one day, at the end of the day, they come up short on money. They're not sure what's happened. George tries to figure it out. He can't figure it out. He heads home rattled and resentful. He gets home and he yells at his kids and he yells at his wife and he yells at someone on the telephone and he's coming down the stairs and he grabs the top of his banister and it comes off in his hand and he slams it down and curses the house and leaves and goes into the night and begins to contemplate suicide thinking it might be better if he had never been born. But before he can act on that, he is saved by Clarence, a bumbling old man, really an angel who looks like a bumbling old man. And Clarence gives George his fantasy of not ever having lived. And George sees the disastrous results and what happens to the people whom he loves and cares about if he had never been born or commit suicide, we usually talk about it at Christmas, but really the themes in the movie are Lenten themes of self-reflection and repentance. As George begins to see all the disastrous results, if he had not been born, he repents, he asks God for help, he confesses his sin, and he begs to be allowed to come back to life and go home. He finally finds his way back home in the movie. Now the house is the same. He heads up the stairs and grabs the top of the banister and it comes off in his hand again. But this time he's not angry. He's happy. He becomes ecstatic. He couldn't be more blessed, he thinks, as he puts the banister back in and runs up the stairs to greet his children. What has changed? His circumstances, his house... All still the same, but something has changed. George has changed. He's gone on a journey of deep self-reflection and introspection and examination, and he's turned to God and confessed his sin and asked for help, and in that George is made a new man his life is renewed or restored or made right his wounds are healed if you will the story in numbers we use at this time of year during lent because it takes us on the same journey where these people are complainers chronic complainers but finally they come to their senses through the circumstances of their life and turn back to God and confess their sin and ask for help.
And the promise of Lent is that if we'll go on the journey, our lives will be renewed and restored and made whole. During Ash Wednesday service, we use Psalm 51 to help us confess. It's one of David's psalm of confessions. And then after that, in our book of worship, here is the prayer. It says, May the Almighty and merciful God, who desires not the death of a sinner, but that we turn from wickedness and live Accept your repentance, forgive your sins, and restore you by the Holy Spirit to the newness of life. The promise of Lent is that the journey is worth it because it's the way to life. It is the way to new life in Christ and eternal life with God now and forever. Amen. And thanks be to God.